you hold your hands out? Father, we receive your goodness this morning. We're here to receive mercy and grace and all the storehouse, the treasury that, that is in mercy and in grace. Lord, impart your presence, your empowering, transforming presence into our lives by your word and your spirit as we share scripture together right now. Meet us, Lord. Meet us. We honor you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated, but I, I think we all ought to give a round of applause to our worship team this morning. Uh, exceptional job, exceptional team. I told Don Thomas as we were approaching this weekend, feel free to pair back if you need to, and I don't think he paired back one bit. Uh, team, thank you for your faithfulness, and thank you for, for being here this morning. And those, again, joining online, God bless you as uh, we share the Word of God together. So God is doing something special in our church family. And part of what he's doing in these days is he is stirring and mobilizing an increased level of prayer in our church. Amen. And that increased prayer is leading to increased obedience. It's leading to life transformation. God's kingdom comes as people pray. So with the increased prayer, there's increased receiving. And there is a, a, a tangible, uh, a palpable, uh, experiential increase of the spirit of prayer in our church family. And on the front of our program this morning is our year verse, and it's the verse that we focused on last week, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. And I want to bring us back to that because this morning as we enter uh, Hebrews uh, chapter 5, it flows right out of verse 16. And what, where we were last week, and it is our year verse, Hebrews 4, 16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and grace to help in time of need. Last week we pointed out there's a difference between what we do when we pray and what God does when we pray. And I want to just say, if you feel like your prayer life has been stuck or your prayer life may be mediocre and if you have a desire for a shift in your own prayer life, I want to share with you this morning how you can have a better prayer life. Amen. Jesus came to give you a better prayer life. Yes. If you hear the word in verse 16, let us then draw near to the throne with confidence. If, if that stirs something in you and you have a desire to draw near to the throne, but you still feel like you're stuck in your old prayer life, I want to tell you how this morning, how you can shift from a mediocre prayer life to a thriving prayer life, and it's really quite simple. I want to describe that shift as this. The shift will happen in your prayer life when you shift from your prayer life being about what you do when you pray and shift to what God does when you pray. 
And that shift is described here in this verse. Let us then draw near to the throne. That's what we do. We're exhorted to draw near, to make time to pray, to seek God's face. That's the encouragement to come. But that's the beginning point, but it's not the end game. The end game of prayer is not praying. The end game of praying is receiving. And that's what this verse does. It takes you from the starting point to the goal is of receiving. Let us then draw near so that we might receive. Receiving, when you start receiving, that's when your prayer life shifts from what you do when you pray to what God does when you pray. And if you've been all caught up in the apparatus of prayer, if, if your prayer life is, is hollow, if it's meaningless, if it's kind of a, a show, like a formality, but it's, there's no substance to it, there's no reality, I guarantee you are focusing on what you do when you pray rather than what God does. Yes. Now, this whole throne where you receive mercy and grace. So, most of us would say this morning, I have need for help when I pray. Okay, I, I, I want to pray, I want to draw near to the throne, but I, I need help when I draw near. How many of you would say, I, I need some more help when I pray? Okay, so I think we would all uh, admit to that. Well, that's what chapter 5 is all about. Chapter 5 points us to the help. And the help comes in the form of a priest who is himself a high priest. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 1. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. If you wonder what a priest does, that's the definition. It says here, who is appointed to act on behalf of people. That's what a priest does. A priest acts on behalf of people. Now, we have not just a priest, we have a high priest. And, and let, let, let me point out here, um, this high priest that we have is categorically in a league all by himself. Yes. I, I don't want you to miss this. this is gonna, we're going to dial this in more when we get to chapters 6 and 7. But since we're introduced to priests, you need to understand. A priest, let me give you three words because we don't use the word priest very often. A priest, first of all, is an ambassador. He's an ambassador sent by the king to represent the king to the people and the people to the king. That's what an ambassador does. That's what Jesus does. Jesus was sent by the king to the people to represent the king to the people and the people to the king. That's an ambassador. He's also our attorney. All legal protocol issues Jesus handles on our behalf. And he's not only an attorney, he's our advocate. That is, he pleads our case to the Father, and that's what a priest does, that's what Jesus does. But this priest is categorically superior, this Jesus. High priests were selected from many priests. You see, every leader needs a leader, and so this, this, there were tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of priests but they needed a leader, and so from among themselves, they selected a priest. Christ didn't stand among many. He was himself the high priest. The high priests are selected from among men. Jesus, the high priest, was sent by God. 
The high priest was someone's son. Jesus is God's son. The high priest had to make sacrifice for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. Jesus had no sin, so his entire sacrifice was on behalf of the people. And the other priests were in the lineage of Aaron, who was the first priest, and his sons were with him, and then their sons and sons and sons, the sons, all the Levites were in the lineage of Aaron. Jesus, however, it says here, is in the lineage of Melchizedek. Don't let the name Melchizedek throw you. We're going to come back to it in a week or two when we get to chapter 6 where it really explains what, he's, what the argument is here and what the point of him being described as Melchizedek. But leave it to say that the uniqueness of Christ as a high priest qualifies him as being in a league all by himself. Now, I want to pause because before I share with us why Jesus is a better high priest and able to give us today a better prayer life because he is a better high priest, I want to point us to two resources that we've rolled out recently that are such benefit. The one is our Red Hot Answer to Prayer book. So um, this book has been such a blessing. Uh, many of you uh, have purchased a, a number of these, are using them, are giving them out. But what's the point of this? The point of this, this resource will help your prayer life transition from what you do when you pray to what God does. The, the best way to fuel your faith and the interaction, the interplay between you and God in your prayer life is to write down your, your prayers and then write down the answers. That's the reason for this. It's, it's so that you will see time and time again that you're going to get more answers when, when you ask specifically. Specific requests lead to specific answers. Somebody said, well, it's just a bunch of coincidences. Well, I want to say... I have found this to be true. The more I pray, the more coincidences I get. Hallelujah. You can call them what you want. Uh, I call them answers to prayer. The more I pray, the more I see God at work, and you will too. I want you to know that. The more you pray, the more you're going to see God at work. This book is designed so that your prayer life will shift to be more about what God does than what you do. The other resource is our prayer room. It's being completely refurbished. Uh, we're in process. If you haven't seen it lately, you ought to stop by. You may want to stop by and check it out before you sign up to be part of it. And by the way, in your program um, is this tear-off, and inside it says, First Watch. We want to be praying relevantly for you. We want to pray for every uh, person by name. We want to pray for our children, we want to pray for the schools they go to and the jobs that you work. Where you spend your time, nine to five, we want to be praying. And right now, those we've received are already on a list in the prayer room. There are resources in there. There's a prayer wall that has prayer requests that are urgent and then praises. Uh, see, we're going to tip the scales to be more about what God's doing in the prayer room. The resources. Uh, there's a resource, again, the prayer sheet. These are updated every week, specific prayers, so that we can get specific answers. And then there's one guide in there on how to enjoy one hour with Jesus. And it's a guide for you so that when you come, you know how to spend your hour in the prayer room. 
Now, many of our people have been utilizing the prayer room, and I just have to say for Sherry and I, we've been in there twice, last week, uh, two weeks ago, and then this week, uh, for one hour, and I have already seen an upgrade in our prayer life when we're not in there. We've been at this a long time. We've been praying together for a long time. And, uh, and yet, our prayer lives needed an upgrade. And since being in there, by the grace of God, he's given us a bump because of that hour that we're spending, and we encourage you to do the same. Steve Phillips, if you would come, and I think this uh, mic is waiting for you. Uh, Steve, you've enjoyed some time in there yourself. All right, well, yeah, it's wonderful. I love the prayer room, um, and uh, just there's something unique about having a designated place to pray. Uh, maybe you have a designated place in your house to pray, um, but it probably serves other purposes when you're not praying. You know, if it's your bedroom, you know, that's, that's great. If it's a closet, that's great, but you're, you're still coming in and out, you're living life. I found that having a designated place outside of my house to pray has been hugely helpful. And so whenever I go to pray, I, I say, okay, let me spend an hour in prayer, um, yeah, you know, I'm lucky to, I, I better say I can get 10 minutes of prayer in before something gets disrupted. The dog does something, the kids are screaming, you know, something's going on. So to have a designated place without any distractions, really, here, it's hugely helpful. And um, I made a commitment um, for our 21-day fast that every day I'd spend an hour in the prayer room because I want this fast to be more about prayer than it is about what I'm not eating. And that's often been flipped for me. I've been, I've been real good at not eating, but I haven't been real good at praying. So what's the point? So um, I've really wanted to see that and commit to that. So praise God. Oh, come on. Give, the, give the, our brother a, a little affirmation. Way to go, Steve. Thank you, brother. Hallelujah. So we've got resources. We've got tools that help. But ultimately, we have Jesus to help. When, when, when we want to see more of Jesus in our prayer lives, that it's more about what he's doing when we pray than what we're doing, that's why Hebrews chapter 5 was written. And there are two ultimate reasons here given in these next verses that qualify him to give us a better prayer life. The first reason is he's fully God. And it says so in verse 5 and 6. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but he was appointed by him who said, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Now think about this. Those words, by the way, are taken from Psalm chapter 2, verse 7. You are my son, today I have begotten you. Now, the beauty of this is this was not written at Christmas. Jesus did not become the begotten on Christmas Day. He became the begotten from eternity. There's never been a day that there was a day when Jesus was not the only begotten of the Father. He's eternally Jesus, he's eternally Son, and he's eternally begotten. There's never been a day that the Father didn't say to the Son, you are my Son. Today I have begotten you. And it's a continual 
begotten of the Father. He is the one who from eternity has been in the process of being sent from the Father, going forth from the Father as the only begotten. So these, th this affirmation that Jesus is a better high priest is because he is not just a man representing us to God. He is God who is eternally representing us to the Father as God himself. It's an incredible reality. Now, by the way, in Psalm 2, verse 7, it's followed by verse 8, and no sooner did the Father say to the Son, you are my Son, today I have begotten you, the next thing the Father said to the Son is, ask of me and I will give you the nations. Hallelujah. Now think about that. Jesus did not start asking for the nations after his crucifixion and resurrection and his ascension into heaven when he sat down at the right hand. He's been asking the Father for the nations before there were nations. Before there was the first nation, before there was the first person, Jesus was asking the Father for the nations that would yet come. Hallelujah. It's an incredible thing. This prayer thing was not an afterthought. This was in the heart of God. It was in the, the being of God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, from before there was anyone on earth to pray. The, Jesus was praying. The Spirit was praying. And the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were having a wonderful time communicating and interceding for, for what is transpiring today. Is it any wonder that the earth is such a beautiful place? Is it any wonder that it's great to be alive, to be human? Is it any wonder it turned out right when you've got uh, Jesus interceding from before there was time for, for us? Hallelujah! Hallelujah. But there's another scripture. It's verse 6. It says, as he says, also in another place, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Well, there's the word Melchizedek. Again, we're going to table that for a week or two. We'll come back to that uh, in a couple of weeks when we get to chapter 6 and 7. But the main point of the verse is the first half of it, and that is, you are a priest forever. And what that means is Forever. What this means is Jesus did not start interceding for us when he ascended after his resurrection. He's a priest forever. Amen. So the intercession started long before because he is God. Yes. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You have someone interceding for you always. Yes. And he didn't start interceding for you uh, when you met him. He was interceding for you uh, thousands of years, millennia before you were even in existence. Hallelujah. Because he's a priest forever. And for that reason, he is able to give you a better prayer life. But that's only half the reason. The other reason that Jesus is able to give us a better prayer life is because he's not only fully God, he's also fully man. Verse 7. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered, and being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest, and again, after the order of Melchizedek. And what's all this talking about? It's talking about his earthly life. 
And that's why it begins with verse 7, in the days of his flesh. In the days of his flesh. The reason Jesus is a better high priest, of course he's God. That goes, uh, we've made that point. But he's also fully man. He came to earth and, is, and, and lived among us. Now listen to how he's described here. Prayers and supplications. Okay, so again, his prayer life was not interrupted during his earthly time. He prayed before, he prayed after, but his whole prayer life was, or his whole earthly life was full of prayer. He offered up prayers and supplications, and listen to how he prayed. He didn't pray a wimpy prayers. He didn't pray half-hearted prayers. It says he offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears. And he was heard because of his reverence. Verse 8, although he was a son, I love this, and this is so moving to me, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Now, you can circle that word learned and put a line off to the side. It is the same root word that is used in the Gospels for disciple. It means he's, Jesus was discipled. Did you ever wonder how Jesus is, is so skilled at, at making disciples? How he's the master disciple maker. Well, the reason he could make disciples is he had a disciple maker over him, the Father. The, the, the Father mentored Jesus on earth. That's what it means. He learned. He was coached. He was mentored during, here on earth by the Father. And so as the Father was mentoring him, Jesus took what he was being trained in and offered it to his disciples. Now, notice the whole role of this learning. What does it say? He learned to obey. Now, this is quite something. Now, Jesus never disobeyed, but he was tempted to disobey, and so he had to learn to obey. Now, we don't think of this. But if, if he was only God and not man, he was some kind of a, 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 a God with, with, with like this charade of humanity around him, but he was not man, he, he would not have struggled to obey. But as fully man, he had to learn and be mentored, coached, discipled in his obedience. Now the point here, there's several points, but part of it is the heart of disciple making is teaching to obey. That's what Jesus said at the end of Matthew 28. Uh, all authority has been given to me, Jesus said. Go therefore make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey. The same word teaching, to obey. That's the point. It's the point of all discipleship. Discipleship without requiring obedience is not discipleship. Jesus was discipled in obedience. Well, there's another word here I want to emphasize that is so, to me it's just so touching. It's back to verse 7 where it says, In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears. I'd like you to circle the word loud in your Bible and put a line off to the side. Loud. That word loud literally means, and it's a, it's a significant word, 
It means he offered up prayers and supplications loud, yes, but forceful, valiant, boisterous, unhindered, unrestrained. It's the word loud. So it wasn't just loud in volume. It was loud with valiance. It was loud with authority. It was loud with conviction. It was loud with assurance. It was loud with confidence. That's how Jesus prayed. With, with pure, unrestrained confidence. And so he was heard. Jesus obviously had a better prayer life. If you have been tentative, if you've been mediocre, if you've been unimpressed with your prayer life, wouldn't you just love to be able to pray like Jesus did? Wouldn't you love God to give you that kind of valiance when you pray, to pray a few valiant prayers? Prayers with, with some suction, prayers that bring heaven to earth, prayers that move mountains, prayers that, that, that are prayed with such confidence that when you're done praying, you know that that prayer was not only heard, but that prayer will be answered? Wouldn't you like to pray like that? Well, hey, I know there aren't many. Can anybody say amen? amen. Hallelujah. I want to show you another word. Turn in Hebrews from chapter 5 to chapter 6. Go to verse 18. I'm going to ask you to circle another word. It says here about us, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge, that's another word for we who draw near to the throne, listen to what it says, might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. Circle the word strong. The word strong in chapter 6, verse 18, is the same word as loud in chapter 5, verse 7. Jesus prayed loudly because he had strong encouragement. And now what, what, what Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews is saying, the same loud that was in Jesus is now ours for the taking. We can have the same loud. We can have the same authority. We can have the same confidence that Jesus prayed with in our prayer lives. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Well, you need to know when you pray all by yourself, you may feel like you're all alone, but I've got good news for you. You never pray alone. You will never pray alone. Not in Jesus' name. If you know Jesus, I've got good news. You never pray alone. You might feel small and insignificant. You might feel faltering. You might feel like you wander. Your mind wanders. I want you to know you never pray alone. You never pray alone. You pray with Jesus 
to Jesus' Father and your Father. And the confidence that you have to have a better prayer life comes from Him because He's the high priest. Now let's just put these two together. He is a better high priest who gives you a better prayer life, but He is a better high priest and can give you that better prayer life because He is fully God and fully man. Now think about this. Fully God, fully man. So this Jesus, who gives you a better prayer life, he gives you the prayer life he has. This Jesus is fully God. He has been next to the Father, seated with the Father on the same throne as the Father from all eternity. And therefore, he is interceding for you. On the other hand, he is also the one who became fully human, penetrated eternity in time and space, and was born into our world, was tempted as we are yet never sinned. He battled his will under the authority and will of his Father throughout his whole life, all the way to the end. And he learned and was mentored, discipled by the Father in learning obedience. And the same loud prayers of authority and confidence that he prayed on earth, he is able to put in you now while you are on earth. Hallelujah. Don't wait till you die to get a better prayer life. Oh, I mean, the best prayers on earth will, 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 will experience a great bump when we get to heaven in terms of our prayer life. We won't have to play games. It's going to be obvious he knows everything. I mean, he knows everything now, but but we don't get it sometimes. So we'll be fully ourselves, fully in conversation with him. But now, now, now is when we learn to pray. And we learn to pray from the master prayer himself, Jesus, the high priest. Hallelujah. Worship team, if you would come, we're going to sing a song and then We've got a couple others that are going to share in just a moment. What a special morning. And worship team, again, thank you, thank you, thank you for giving us your best and giving the Lord your best. And would you stand with me this morning? Father, we want each one. Would you just hold your hands out? Father, we want a better prayer life. And we want our time with you in front of the throne to be more about what you're doing than what we're doing. So Lord, thank you for the tools that you've given us. Thank you for the resources. Thank you for your heart. And above all, thank you for the high priest, Jesus, who calls us to be ourselves in your presence. Hallelujah.